Have you ever heard the old line, Catholics can't sing, and thought, yeah, that's true, and I can't do anything about it? Or maybe you're working in a Protestant church, and you wonder what you can do to help people actively participate in church services through music or through other ways. This is Music and the Church, a podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Brisa, and I'm the Minister of Music at the First Congregational Church of St. Louis. Today, we're talking about congregational participation at Mass with the music director Darrell St. Romain. That mostly means that we're talking about congregational singing, although, as you'll hear early on, we both acknowledge that congregational singing isn't the only way to participate in your heart during a church service. Darrell is the director of music at Mary Immaculate Catholic Church in Farmers Branch, Texas, just outside of Dallas. He's also worked in a number of other parishes. His background helps him address another area we're going to cover in our conversation, which is how to approach bilingual services and multi-ethnic services. I think you're going to love his perspective and wisdom. It's not focused on comfort, but as he says in the conversation, I don't think anyone who had an encounter with Jesus was comfortable the whole time. Before getting into the interview, I want to remind you that show notes with all the resources we mention are at musicandthechurch.com slash 29, and I hope if you enjoy this conversation that you'll share it with a friend. Why don't we start off with just a brief overview of where you're coming from as a musician, like where you started and where you, like where you've worked in the past and where you are now. Okay, so my major influences. I started at nine years old playing for my home parish, which is an African-American Catholic parish in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I did that from nine until college. I love how churches are like, oh, we found this child who can do this. Yes, bring them in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that has a lot to do with, with my formation. So in my senior year in high school, I have a twin brother who does the exact same thing that I do. Uh, his name is Darnell. And uh, we started working at a local African Methodist Episcopal church in town. So, um, you know, that was high church music all the time, just all the time. Mozart, Beethoven, Vivaldi. Yeah, I mean, stuff that we yeah, never... Yeah, that's, that's high. <laughs> yeah, at, at my Catholic church that they were doing week in and week out. And so I, we did that for, I was my senior in high school until the end of college, so about five years. So we went to study organ at Louisiana State University with Dr. Herndon Spillman. And then we went to SMU and studied organ and church music with Dr. C. Michael Hahn, Dr. Christopher Anderson, and organ with uh, Dr. Larry Palmer. And so while at SMU, I was the organ scholar at the Cathedral Guadalupe, which is the largest functioning cathedral in the country. And it has the largest congregation. At that time, it was 25,000 members. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, and, and that's when I first started playing for Hispanic Masses, because I played the 1030 Spanish Mass every Sunday for three years. And and that was always interesting because if, if we used Floricanto, which is the number one Catholic Spanish hymnal, and so at every mass, it was like, oh, Darrell, we don't do that temple the way it's written out like that. That's not the way we learned it in Mexico. 
I said, oh, so how are we going to do this? You know, so that was always an adventure because sometimes I would write it out. Sometimes I didn't. So sometimes in the introduction, you heard the rhythm that was on the page. And then when they started singing, like, oh, no, that's not quite the rhythm. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to follow you guys. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So that that was that was fun. And that was a whole lot of work because I was yeah, in grad yeah. school and doing that at the time. And uh, we had, on the English side, a paid uh, section leaders in the choir. And, and we were doing motets every week. So we, we I like went. Like Renaissance, yeah? Yes, pretty much. Yeah, Latin motets. So you go from a 1030 mass where pretty much everyone is singing to the 12 noon mass uh, where you had the choir in residence and everyone just came to listen. Oh, my word. Yeah. That is wild. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you're like, oh, okay. There's some participation. They might sing at the hymns, but they really were there to listen, to yeah. listen to the choir. That, that, I mean, you could put anything in front of them and they were going to sing it. And so after, after grad school, I moved back to Louisiana and I worked for two rural Catholic parishes on the banks of the Mississippi River, literally. You walk out the door of the, each church and you see the levee to the Mississippi River. Oh, wow. And so these were two parishes where either you worked at a plant, one of the plants in the area, you grew sugarcane, or you taught at the schools. Mm-hmm. And so um, life there was very different, racial uh, unjust uh, is all over the place. Um, and so it, it, was, it was very difficult doing ministry in there. Uh, first, because I was seen as an outsider. Even, even was, though you're from Louisiana? Even though I'm from Louisiana, yeah. Huh. I was seen as an outsider and too educated for most of them. And so they feared that, yeah. And so it took almost four years to gain trust, and I was only there six years. Oh, wow. Uh, and then now I'm here at Mary Immaculate Parish in the Diocese of Dallas, where it's mainly Anglos and Hispanics. And um, I do most of the music for the, the Anglo side. And so I've just been here a little over a year, one year and one month. You know, we're, we're talking mainly about uh, congregational singing and leading congregational singing. And I'm wondering, like you talked about the congregational singing in the two different services or two different kinds of services mm-hmm. in the archdiocese. How does that compare with the other kinds of singing that you've experienced across these different churches? Mainly, I find minorities or people of color will sing at mass. And I find Anglos are very hesitant to sing. That is not so much the case at Mary Immaculate where I am now. I had the good fortune of having the first music director of the church in my choir. And to her credit, she did a lot uh, with getting the people to sing. So this parish, they sing more so than any other parish that I worked at. And I like it. And and not only just unison singing, but uh, singing in parts as well. Yeah, the first music director had a lot to do with that. But mainly, people of color are going to sing more than, than Anglos. Yeah. 
just I'm just like thinking thinking about like cultural histories and just such different different cultural understandings mm-hmm. of like what what church is and what and what participation in worship is. It seems like that people who come and mostly listen to the music in a service are not necessarily thinking, oh well, I'm not participating. It's just a d- very different understanding of like what it means to worship and to participate in the liturgy. Very, yeah, a very different understanding. And I find that their act of being reverenced is so different. And that has a lot to do with whether they're going to sing or not. Oh, like yeah. how, what people understand like reverence to be? Yes. Yeah. And I also find that, well, people of color bring God down to their level. He's my friend. He's my brother. And I find Anglos have this lofty idea that God is up here and we can't touch him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't uh, uh, talk to him any kind of way. I have a friend here at the church, and she said, you know, I spent about an hour in adoration, and she's from California. And, she, mm-hmm. and you know what God told me? He said, yo, dude, it's going to work out. You know, she's Hispanic, but um, Angela would never say that. Uh, <laughs> that's not the way God talks to me. And so, and I, and I find their approach to how they handle their relationship with, with their God deals a lot with how they worship. It seems like a lot of this is um, coming from an understanding of what your body is. And um, I, I think um, Christians generally will say like, well, yes, you know, in my flesh, I will see God at the last day. That kind of like on paper belief that our bodies are somehow valuable, but in the actual like worshiping of God and living out our lives as Christians, the way we, the way we speak about our bodies, the way we sing our bodies, the way we move our bodies through the world really doesn't always reflect that belief in the the essential goodness of, of flesh that, that God has made yeah. in, in God's own image. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, let's talk about planning worship in a church, pl- planning music, planning worship in a church with a very different kinds of services. And I think at, at your current parish, there's I think what eight masses. That's yes, quite, there are quite a lot masses. of services. Yeah. Yeah. So I have one huge choir rehearsal on Thursday nights, and all of us together. I think we're like right at 30 singers, but over the weekend, they break up into three different choirs. So we rehearse together, but then we break up and usually um, 1030 and 12 noon on Sunday, uh, we'll sing the anthem uh, that's prepared for the weekend. The 5 p.m. won't simply because we get the smallest forces at at yeah, I bet you can't cover all the same parts. Yeah, see yeah. So, but I mean, but they they sit through rehearsal and they learn the music uh, because sometimes uh, if I see if I have at least one on each voice part, we'll do the we'll do the anthem because uh, they can pretty much hold their own. Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah, and then for so there's five English masses that happen. Seven thirty on Sunday morning has no music at all. Um, I play to cover up the processions, that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and then there is uh, a contemporary group that sings at the 5 p.m. on Sunday evenings. And for the three Hispanic masses, we have four uh, vocal groups that sing for the three. Um, there's one that always sings at 8.45 on Sunday morning, one that sings at 1.45 on Sunday afternoon, and then for the 6.30 Sunday Mass, two vocal groups switch out every other week. Mm. Uh, and each of them are different in style and approach uh, because of 
country of origin of their leaders. Really? Oh, so not, it's not just about like, you know, so-and-so plays this musical instrument and they can come at this time. Yeah. It's the influence of the musical leader. Yes. So how does, how does that play out? Cause like you're the director of music. So you're in some way overseeing this, but you're not the one necessarily doing the music unless you're filling in for somebody. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, 8.45 on Sunday morning is considered like the high mass for the Spanish speakers that, that come to Mary Immaculate. Um, they're doing very traditional music. Uh, like four-part hymnody? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and with some organ, if, if mm. the 1.45 uh, mass is really dealing uh, with Spanish folk music, in particular from Honduras and Mexico. And then the two groups that sing at the English masses are more contemporary in nature. And their leader is also from Honduras. Yeah, both of them are from Honduras. Yeah. So in, if, if one person were to go to all masses on, just on a Sunday, I think they might come out schizophrenic. Yeah. Well, liturgical schizophrenia at least, um, because they're just going to be taken, you know, all over in, in a day with, with just because of the, the styles of the music leaders. So how do, you, how do you conceptualize this and how do you, how do you think about that as someone who's, who's leading this but not necessarily like making the granular choices? Like how are you able to lead musical, the leaders of these different musical groups in a cohesive way? Oh, well, we meet regularly, at least every other month, and we bounce ideas off each other. We talk about music that's coming up at Mass, and we, we just have a good time. I am of the mindset that I never want to micromanage anyone, because uh, I've been micromanaged, and it is not fun. Um, mm-hmm. So as long as I'm not receiving any complaints from their choir members or from the pastor, um, I leave them to their own devices. But, but it's also fun to uh, get their different ideas of, of even how they approach the same piece of music, um, mm-hmm. simply because, you know, there are variances that, that they have heard from just traveling South America and, and Central America and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they bring this into how they lead and, and, uh, and how they train their choirs to sing whatever pieces that they're working on. Most times there is at least one hymn that is going to be played at all the masses that are the same. Uh, mm-hmm. Not because it was designed that way, it's just how they chose their music. No, the, the scripture readings are all the yes, same. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they're using the same music, uh, well, they're using the same hymnal. Okay, yeah. yeah. So um, that plays into that as well other than that I, I just like to get together with them and we have a good time and and we bounce ideas off each other and yeah that's that's that um i'm not a huge disciplinarian i don't ask them to turn in song sheets every week because Ooh. i'm not going to look at them you know <laughs> you have a lot of other things going on yes, yes. <laughs> that big of a parish not many <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot oh man and managing a choir where you're rehearsing with not the same configuration as you have on a Sunday morning or a Saturday evening. That's, yes. that's tricky because you, you can't listen to balance in the same way. No, where I'm always <clears throat> dealing with how does this sound, playing with, uh, with, with microphones too on Sunday 
you know, checking mm -hmm. levels constantly. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a that's a skill set that they don't teach you in uh in grad school is uh, like how to do the soundboard, and it's it's one where I'm like, oh, I really need that skill set, and I don't have it yet. But uh, <laughs> I think we have one lecture on it at, at SMU. Yeah, I've had one zero yeah. zero zero, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I missed yeah. out. That's it's like when I talk to pastors, and they're like, yeah, I didn't get any plumbing training in seminary, but sure would have been nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In real life, I don't know anything about building maintenance, but that's no. I do a lot of that. But they expect you to know at least if if you're leading some type of group, they expect you to know how to work their audio equipment. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're right, and we we rarely touch on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been I've been we're both you know for our listeners, we're both trained as as organists, mm -hmm. and. I mean, I even sometimes I'm like, oh, it's a new organ. Make sure I know how to turn it on because the button's not always in the same spot. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Let's, let's talk some more about leading congregational singing because that that's something that you do from the organ and also something I think that you do as a cantor. Yes. Yes. So let's, let's talk about that. So you know from working in a Catholic church, any type of elongation to the mass is not happening at all. Any so I've been told of, and experienced. Yep. Yeah. Any type of place to teach music during the mass is not happening unless you find something that's very simple and repetitive that congregations can catch on to quickly. So normally what happens with me and um, with my Spanish counterparts is if we're teaching something new, like if it's a new mass setting or um, just um, – something we want to do for offertory. Um, mm -hmm. All that has to happen before Mass. Now, mm -hmm. it depends on what kind of parish you're in. There is only really 20 minutes between Masses at, on the Sunday morning. Uh, mm -hmm. So that has to happen rather quickly for me. Mm -hmm. and, and you realize you're going to lose half of them because they're not in the church. And so always teaching before Mass, having good worship aids. If you're able to speak about what's coming up in the bulletin, I advise you to do that, knowing that 95% of the people won't even read it. But Elites is, is there, and there are ways to, uh, you know, get the information out. Oh, next weekend we're going to be doing something new. Uh, okay, so... What type of experiment is Darrell going to be putting on us this week? You know, uh, yeah. So all of that has to happen before Mass. Now, mm -hmm. about 99% of the time, when it's the first time out, it's not going to be as successful as you think it is in your mind. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, you're, you're always doing this. You're always having a work in progress. And... And having the choir there to back you up is always a good thing. But once mass starts, there's no way. Off you go. Yep. To teach anything. All of this has to be done before mass. It's not like uh, in Protestant churches. Okay, we're going to learn a new song today. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen at the song time. No, mm -hmm. that, that never happens. For the song leader, that means if you're teaching them something, uh, you have to be short and you have to be on top of it because if you teach it the wrong way, they're going to forever know it the wrong way. And you're not changing that. 
-hmm. you're just not you know uh <laughs> yeah so, yeah yeah but there, but there are times uh where it can be done in mass a great place for that is at the responsorial psalm time if you have a little time to play with you could do different things w with the psalm like singing a hymn a hymn setting versus no uh, or? just getting more participation from the group even if you're having them move which normally we're seated during that time but there's nothing that's saying you can't move uh, mm -hmm. uh, or um, teaching something that is cyclic that you might bring back later in mass that mm. can sometimes help yeah uh, it's just between really the psalm offertory and maybe time after communion it's the only place where you could really steal some time Mm -hmm. try to teach mm -hmm. music when when you're introducing a new mass setting do you do like one different thing each each week like okay well we'll we'll learn the sanctus this week and you know next week we'll learn another another element yeah yes yeah i never throw a whole setting at them yeah at a time yeah. that's uh, a lot of music it's a lot of music and you're gonna get angry faces mm -hmm. uh, because they're, they're always no matter wh where you're working there are always going to be people who want to participate. And if yeah, you for throw sure. all of that at them at the same time, uh, then it's fruitless work. So mm -hmm. usually it takes about four to five weeks to, to introduce a mass setting. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I, I start with one movement of the mass, and then I introduce it at the beginning of mass. And then when it comes time for that particular movement, then I'll do that new movement and mm -hmm. go back to the previous mass that we were using mm -hmm. so uh but once i introduce a movement i always do it until we have completely learned everything how many um mass settings do you have in rotation for your for your parish okay so my predecessor at this parish uh wrote his masses and they were doing one mass a year and i guess that's for time to to write a new one and okay get it all set up and but would they keep up with the previous masses no or just switch entirely to a new mass they would switch entirely to a new oh mass. so um since i've been here we're going on the th we're about to start their third mass setting that okay. they have like, because that was one of the major things i heard you know well when we go to other churches we can't sing along with them yeah because, well thomas mm -hmm. only did that mass mm -hmm. year and it wasn't done widely. Mm -hmm. and, so, know. so have you chosen like some of the more popular mass settings so that they're able uh, to? Do we're, that? Um, we're using OCP hymnal. I do do Tony Alonzo's Mass of Christ: Life for the Nations mm -hmm. uh, that's published for GIA. The one we're about to learn is the Heritage Mass. Mm, yeah, yeah, which has been out since the seventies, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it it came back into light after the new translation in 2011 mm -hmm. uh, uh, because musically it, it allowed uh for the text to flow uh, oh okay yeah, a lot more easier yeah. than some of the the new settings that came out in 2011 mm. uh, and then i'll do another one sometime next year uh but they also know the the simple latin mass chants mm. oh uh, that's nice so do yeah. they do that at like penitential seasons? Yes, yes. Yeah. At, nice. uh, Advent and uh, Lent. So it's always that that factor. Well, by October we'll have the new mass setting learned, and mm -hmm. then 
two months later, always switched to the Latin. And so mm-hmm. when it comes time for Easter, everybody has forgotten, you know, the, I mean, for Christmas, mm-hmm. everybody has forgotten the Gloria. And they're like, oh, we can't sing it now. But, uh, you know, I, yeah. I'm going to get those complaints, but it is what it is. It uh, is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There, there's going to be complaints no matter no matter what so yes yes we do our best do our best so like you're teaching the congregation new new settings at, like outside of the service so that you're getting getting more preparation time what are other things that you do to encourage participation especially in these english language services where people might not have like grown up with the expectation that well of course we sing yeah i always and and that leads me bound to a hymnal but if we're not doing special music, I try to always have that piece in the hymnal. Or if not, I will make a worship aid for that man. Like with the music notation? With the music notation. I always mm. want them to have music notation. I'm not a fan of just text on a page. Mm. To me, that's always a missed opportunity because, yeah, maybe 90% of the people don't read music, but 10% of them went through high school band. They know how to read music. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you can get those 10% of the people paying attention, great. <laughs> they can help and, lead. <laughs> yes. And I think even though people can't read, they do know general direction when the music goes up or when the line goes up, they go up. When the line goes down, you know, they go down. Mm-hmm. Most people know enough about that. So mm-hmm. that's why I always want to have some type of music notation for mm-hmm. them uh, where they can follow along. It helps. I have done, you know, just text on the page and the participation level is not as high as, mm-hmm. as when they have some type of music notation. Even if it's just teaching them two lines of music, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to have it there unless it's some type of call and response thing that mm-hmm. they catch on to. Mm-hmm. Doing bilingual or even masses where you have like 40% African-American, 60% Anglo. We'll, we'll start with, with bilingual. Okay. Uh, so in my work, I do a lot of bilingual masses, meaning well between English and Spanish. And I'm an equal opportunity offender. So <gasps> at those masses, I put in a lot of Latin as well. Why? Because they're both equally uncomfortable at the same time. Uh, That's like an approach to community building. Yes, uh-huh. it is. It's like yes. those bonding activities. You all have to climb this big uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Be- Because a, bi- a bilingual mass done poorly, it's a horrible experience for everyone who attended. And so these have to be carefully planned out and so a lot of times at these masses, I'm not going to have music that speaks directly to the readings. I'm going to have mm-hmm. music where I know people will sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and, 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 that, and that's the hard part. Because for me, who, who is trained uh, to pick music based on readings, based on collects and all of this, uh, it's hard. It's a hard exercise for me too uh, to plan these liturgies, especially when you know they're at high times of the year. Because there's always one at Christmas. There's always one. Uh, well, the Easter vigil is one. Easter mm-hmm. Sunday morning is one. Uh, 
uh, Thanksgiving, All Saints Holy Days a lot. Uh, we're we're going to have at least one bilingual liturgy. So having music in English and Spanish and in Latin, mainly mass parts, but even asking them to sing, like if it's a Miriam feast day, the Salve Regina. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's a great tool. And, you know, I look out and I see the faces. Everybody's uncomfortable. And I like that. Uh, because why do we have to be comfortable when we come to worship? I, I don't mm. think anybody who had an encounter with Jesus was comfortable the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, and it takes away, because here in the United States, worship has become so myopic. What can I get out of it? Oh, I don't like mass because I didn't like the music today. Well, you know, that's, that's not why we come there to begin with, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It's yes, true. yes. So music that is singable for both cultures, languages, and also music that makes them both uncomfortable is what I strive for in bilingual lit liturgies. Some come off better than others. Um, What's an uh, example of something that's worked really well? Every, even Anglos for a Spanish piece, a la ballet, a la ballet, a la ballet, a la ballet, a mi senor. And it goes into verses that talks about John and Peter and Paul. But it's a catchy little tune, mm -hmm. and it, everyone just ends up singing it. Uh, most times, uh, oh, heavens forbid, they clap at mass. Um, yeah. they'll, they'll end up clapping, too, at least the Hispanics. Um, like, yeah, use our bodies. <laughs> yes, and uh, another one that at communion time that both cultures like a lot is Taste and See, James Moore. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a particular fan of the hymn mm -hmm. because I've heard it done so much and I've heard bad performances of it. But uh, people sing that and they, and they love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like when you see people's faces light up and they're like, oh, I know that song as you do uh -huh. the introduction. It's uh -huh. like, oh, that's a keeper. Uh -huh. I want to do that one. Yeah. <laughs> as long as the theology is decent, I'm going to do that one again because I saw your face light up. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, both English and Spanish speakers, they sing holy, holy, holy. They like, holy God, we praise thy name. Mm -hmm. These English hymns that have uh, based on German chorales, are surprisingly sung well by both cultures. And I, I didn't experience this until, uh, you know, 10 years ago when I was working at the cathedral in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing what a little Catherine Winkworth would do for a <laughs> <laughs> congregation. For a Catholic congregation, that's awesome. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, man. Ah, so there's, there's, there's bilingual messes. What about white African-American services. Okay. This is even harder. Oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah, because oh, it was too white this Sunday. Or they had too much gospel this Sunday. Um, you know. Um, All Christians. Yes. All Christians. Yes. It, oh. it, it, is, it is hilarious. But don't let them fool you. Uh, the Anglos get down to some good gospel music. They, they might not admit it right away. They might not clap on two and four. No, no, no they won't. <laughs> and that's hilarious. Uh, but, but, but they in, enjoy it. And it, 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 it's more, they might, when the gospel music is going on, they're going to be more of a, a spectator than a participant in mm -hmm. it. But it doesn't mean that they're um, 
not enjoying it. Now, I also use Latin sparingly at these uh, masses, particularly because it has a negative connotation for African Americans if there is no education behind it. And the reason is because many of them remember when the church was speaking Latin. That was a time where they were persecuted heavily in the church. Uh, they either had no place to sit in the church or they were regulated to two or three pews in the church. So for the older uh, mass scores, it brings back a negative connotation for them. So, um, I'm, and I didn't experience this until uh, about six years ago when I started working in the mainly white and black congregation. In uh, uh, Louisiana. In Louisiana, yes. But usually I try to make music that is representative of of the congregation because I think if you're setting up masses where, oh, this is the traditional mass or this is the folk mass, this is the gospel mass, blah, 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 whatever. If you're setting up masses based on genre Mm -hmm. uh, at a time where there's a pre-shortage happening in the U.S. and they're cutting masses, then okay, oh, it's not that they cut a mass. It's that, oh, you cut the, the folk mass. You cut the traditional mm-hmm. mass. You mm-hmm. cut the gospel mass. This is mm-hmm. what they're going to say. And people are more offended at that and not at the reason, well, the reason why a mass is cut is because we don't have enough people to say them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's not how the community takes it. Yeah, so yeah. well, especially if it's your mass with your style. Exactly. Whatever yours is, it's mine. Yes, yeah. so I try to, to stay away from that, I try to not label any of the groups that I lead on what genre they sing the most. It's very dangerous, I think. And so at, at these masses, even taking a standard hymn and doing it in what we might call, okay, oh, they blackified it, you know, if that's even a word. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, typical examples like, what a friend we have in Jesus. Your angle is going to sing it. What yeah. a friend we have in Jesus. Da, 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 mm-hmm. da, da, da. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, African-American. What a friend we have in Jesus. And, you know, and I'm playing, I have passing cards all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and so, and, and like, oh, okay, this is, something that the whites could get into, okay, because we know the text, but the, the interpretation is a little bit different, but this is something I think I might be able to sing along, you know, once I hear it once or twice. And, and so that, that works well. And even just doing things that they may hear off the radio, because we both know, in at least in a black standpoint, once you put out a hymnal, or once you put out any hymnal, it's already dated. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so you're not going to get the latest and the greatest. Wait, I mean, I know some contemporary groups in the area that's not going to sing a song that's older than five years old. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to hear that. I mean, you're not going to have that in the hymnal. You're mm-hmm. just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is where doing songs before Mass helps me out a lot, or introducing songs before Mass helps mm-hmm. me out a lot. GIA has produced two great African-American hymnals, Lee Megami and Lee Megami Second Edition. Mm-hmm. In my parishes that I used to work for, we had both the Gather hymnal, which is their repertoire is, is traditional leaning toward folk 
Catholic mm-hmm. music, and lead me, guide me in their pews. Because I thought it was important that they both experience each other's culture. Even if they don't experience it outside of church, I think the liturgy should be the place where it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you're singing someone else's story, where you get to encounter it. And you may not always agree with it, or it might not always um, be your your taste or your style. At least mm-hmm. you're exposed to it, and you're not in a, a church that only does one type of music. And that happens a lot in America, and it's not the fault of anybody, but it takes a lot, a lot of planning, a lot of creativity to do music that is multilingual and multicultural mm-hmm. at the same time. And it takes, it takes a long-term plan. Like, a long-term like you really have to think like the stuff that I'm selecting right now is influencing what I can select five years from now, unless you're one of those contemporary services where you can change the music. Yeah. That's, not most, that's not most of what we're doing. Yeah. It has to be said that you can only do this successfully once you have gained the trust of your parishioners. So if you're one of, of, of a music minister that comes in at 10 till service time and leave five minutes after service and you never interact with the people that you're help leading, you're mm-hmm. never gonna get anywhere with mm-hmm. this. They have to mm-hmm. know you outside of seeing you on mm-hmm. a bench or behind a piano, you know. Yeah. So. I think this is something, um, and I'm, I'm curious what you think. This is something for me where I am so grateful that I'm now in a full-time job and not a full-time job where I'm like going crazy playing for a bunch of different services because I've had time to have coffee dates with people who are in the choir who are otherwise involved with the music ministry. And, you know, sometimes even spend a few hours just talking with people and hopefully we'll continue doing that into the long term. Whereas in the past, I've had jobs where it's like, you know, it took me the full 10 hours that they paid me to be there. And I had a lot of other employment or schooling or whatever. And I, I like, wasn't that I didn't want to get to know people was like, I can't give you more time when I also have these other jobs to be doing. And I guess I'm saying this because any pastors they're listening or other people who are leading church services, think about what a minister of music can do when they're given that time to build relationships. Think of how they can minister, not just through music, but through the relationships that they build with parishioners. To help me out with that, I also teach a faith, adult faith formation class. Oh, tell us about that. On Tuesday nights. And that's just a way for people to know, oh, he is much more than just a person that plays music on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And trust me, the more ways you can make yourself visible in the parish or wherever you work, the harder it is for the pastor to cut you. I was going to say, also, for, for real, it's true, though. Yes. When, yeah. when, if they have to make that decision. Because if you're only looked at as just someone that's there on Sundays, then that's so easy to say bye-bye to. And it's and, true. And, it's totally true. Yeah. And I, and I guess this comes with experience. When I was younger, I would, I would never think about that. Never. Mm. I'm here yeah. for a service. You're paying me for this service. And that's all you're getting out of me, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Yeah. Now I see that it is needed. And, and that's, it's just other ways to, to build relationships, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's not just like, like you or me, particularly as a younger person, but it's like that's also how churches have framed employment oftentimes. Yes. That you're there to provide XYZ services. And, um, and in some cases, we're going to wring every last drop of service out of you 
and, you know, completely fill up your time with, you know, mm-hmm. service after service or rehearsal after rehearsal or, you know, whatever it is that, that is the employment package and not think about like, oh, if you have breathing room in there, you have, you have time to teach a formation class. You have time mm-hmm. for this bigger pastoral ministry, which especially for a Catholic, a Catholic situation where like you're considered a pastoral musician. Yes. You're presumably expected to be a Christian, which is not always the case for especially mainline Protestant churches. Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're part of that, that pastoral ministry, big picture. Yes. I got to back on my soapbox a little bit. I mean, I like it. (laughs) Time prep it takes is, is more than I would like, but it serves a purpose. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's not like I can't do it because I have a theology background in my in my graduate degree. So I have the knowledge and or the ability to do it. If you make yourself varied, it, it only helps you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it only helps the, the faith of the people that you're ministering yes. to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for this conversation. It has been really Thank a pleasure you. to talk with you and to learn from you. Yes, it, I, I really enjoyed having this. Thanks to Darrell St. Romain for this conversation today. You can find the show notes for this episode at musicandthechurch.com slash 29. I produce a monthly newsletter, and you can subscribe to it at musicandthechurch.com slash sign up. I'm Sarah Bariza, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Music and the Church.